I want to tell you a quick story about a guy that uh, I heard about actually last fall. Uh, he's a guy named Eliud. All right, you wouldn't you wouldn't think of it. A lot of people these days being named Eliud, but this guy was Eliud, uh, and he was a racer. He was a runner, uh, and some years ago, uh, his particular races were s- smaller, like you know, three thousand meters um, or uh, five thousand meters, and he would run in competitions. He would run for the Olympics. Uh, well, this one particular race, he was running for the Olympics uh, for the trials to get into the Olympics, uh, and uh, Eliud didn't do so well. He got like seventh in the trial, so he didn't make the cut. And so he decided he was going to reconfigure how he would run. He wasn't going to run these little short races anymore, these medium-ranged races. He was going to go for the marathon. So he began to train for this deal. And he started winning, and he started doing great. Uh, Well, it got up to the point where a few years ago, he had it in his mind. He was going to do something that no human being had ever done. He was going to not only break the record for the marathon that he held, he was going to shatter what people said was impossible, the two-hour mark of a marathon. He got in his mind he was going to do this. You see, the scientists and the doctors told him, Eliud, this is impossible. The human body cannot do this. It cannot go that fast. It cannot go that fast for that long. It, It just cannot be done. Well, Eliud got in his mind he was going to do this, and he wasn't going to listen to anybody else. And so he gathered around him a team of guys, a team of people who helped him. Uh, he had people who, uh, in his training, would set the pace with vehicles. Uh, he had people work on, okay, what, what are the best kind of shoes for this kind of distance, for this kind of repetition? Uh, and they worked up this whole big uh, uh, plan. And he, so this past fall, he set out to do this thing. And he had guys who would run with him that were pacers. These were, you know, uh, the elite runners of the world set the pace for him and they would come in with fresh legs every once in a while in a car, jump out, and then they would run to kind of set the pace so he knew how fast he was going and how fast he needed to continue to go to get the uh, uh, race won. And so he would do this consistently. And he continued to run and continued to work. And he's going, you know, marathon is 26.2 miles. And so he's running his heart out to get there. And he's going as fast as he can and as hard as he can. And he's doing these guys. Well, in the last little bit of this race, the last little leg of this race, he pulls away from the pacers, from the guys setting the pace. And he finished about the last 500 meters by himself. And he did the marathon in one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. Just under the two-hour mark, just under the mark that the doctors and the scientists said was physically impossible. He made this thing possible. But it wasn't just him. Like I said, it was a team of people that helped him to get there. He needed help to achieve the impossible. And we're going to look at something very interesting today as we are in our series called Behind the Scenes that... Uh, looking at some highlights throughout Scripture of some people who did some phenomenal things, some amazing things, some stories from Scripture that we all know and are familiar with, but there was a lot that led up to those moments. And so we're going to look today at another one. Last week we took a look at David leading up to fighting uh, Goliath and what that was for him. Well, today we're going to look at another one that I'm sure you're all familiar with, and that is Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, right? You see, Daniel... When he was a young man, his country was conquered by another one. An enemy country came in, an enemy, enemy nation came in. They just, this enemy nation just gotten a new king. This king said, well, we're just going to build our kingdom out. And so he went in and, and he conquered Israel. 
And he looked around at all the people who were there, the people who were good looking, the people who were really smart, and he took them back to his own country to try to train them up in his culture to try to make his culture better. And Daniel was one of those guys. He was a young man. He was good looking. He was very bright, very smart. And so he entered this program uh, to become one of the wise men, to become one of the advisors to the king. And uh, uh, he was, was picked out by the king as a very, um, uh, not only very wise man, but someone who was very discerning. And uh, uh, he became one of the highest ranking officials in the country. And he did this for decades and decades uh, up into his 80s. And so in his 80s, though, uh, the nation he was serving there that wasn't his home country, but it was conquered by another one. It was conquered by another country. And this other country came in and conquered him. Uh, and, but the, the king of this new country still recognized who was, you know, the, the, uh, the elite, the smart guys, the guys who could help him run his newfound, expanded kingdom better. And so he appointed guys all over the place to help him run this thing. And he picked out Daniel as one of the top three of all those contenders. And he put Daniel and two other guys, the top three, over everybody else. But Daniel still began to set himself apart. You see, in among all these guys that, the, that that new king appointed over his country, everybody was politically minded in that they wanted the best for themselves. And so they were stepping on other people to try to get in the good graces of the king. But Daniel wasn't having any of that. He wasn't concerned about any of that. All he was concerned about was pleasing God in, in where he was planted for the moment. And the king recognized this. So the king developed this new plan. He was going to take Daniel and he was going to put him over everybody, over all these other guys that he, uh, the king had put into these positions. Well, all these other guys didn't like this idea. They didn't like this, this foreigner, this, this guy from another country uh, to be over anybody. They, honestly, they really didn't want anybody over in themselves. They wanted to be the guy over everybody else, get paid the most, get a, esteemed the most. But uh, the king had this plan to put Daniel there. And so all these other uh, government officials got together and started developing a plan because they didn't want Daniel to get this job. And their plan was, we need to dig up some dirt on Daniel so that the king doesn't, you know, uh, allow, you know appoint him to this spot. And so they developed this plan that they were going to go uh, and uh, they were going to uh, try to sully Daniel's name to the king. But they essentially hired some private detectives to try to find this, you know, you know, skeletons in the closets for Daniel, but they couldn't find anything. They said they came back and gave the report. Really, all that Daniel does is he does his job. He does his job really, really well. And uh, not only that, he goes and he prays every single day, three times a day. He opens his window and he prays, prays to his God every single day. That's all he does. And so these government officials developed this plan. Their plan is what they're going to do is they're going to make it illegal to pray to anybody but the king. So they go into the king and they say, hey, king, you're a great king. You're amazing. Uh, uh, you know, your hair looks phenomenal. And they, they're buttering him up. And they say, what we want to do, because you are so great, king, is we want to make it illegal for anybody in the nation to pray to anybody but you. And so they lay out this plan and the king's feeling great. You know, he's feeling puffed up. He's feeling uh, very, very appreciated there in the moment. Uh, and they say, okay, so what we want you to do, king, we've already, we've got it right here. We've already written up the law. Here's the law. For 30 days, no one can pray to anybody but you. All you have to do is sign it and put your stamp on there as the king. And as the king, no one can revoke it, not even you. You know, that's how powerful your word is. 
And the king's thinking, man, I like this idea. Nobody can pray to anybody but me. I Everybody's looking to me as, as the great one. And so he says, sure thing, stamped it. Well, those guys immediately go out and start following Daniel. Daniel hears about this law, and his first instinct is to go to his house, open his windows, and kneel down to pray. Well, he's praying. Guys come, grab him, arrest him, take him to the king, and say, hey, king, here he is. Your boy Daniel broke that law you just signed. He, he, he violated the law. And so the king is devastated because he loved Daniel. Daniel was, was uh, someone that he relied upon. Daniel was someone he was loyal to. And so the king sends everybody away, and he brings in some policy guys, and he starts researching and trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out of this mess. The scripture says he did this for the rest of the day. He's digging through any kind of loophole he can to try to find the spot that will get him, get Daniel out of this, but he can't find one. Well, the penalty for breaking this law was execution, and one of their chief forms of execution was a pit, a hole that was dug with lions in it. And so they were going to take Daniel and throw him in this pit with these lions. And they were going to roll a stone in front of it and uh, let the lions have at him. And so they take Daniel and they bring him to the pit. They toss him in and the king yells out as they toss him, Daniel, I hope that the God you pray to will save you. They roll the stone in front of it and Daniel's in there and the king goes back into his palace. And he is so emotionally wrecked. He won't eat anything. All his attendants try to send entertainment in there to him to get him distracted. He won't have any of it. He sends everybody away. He won't sleep. He won't eat. He just is consumed with what just happened because he is so wrecked. Well, the second that the sunlight comes up, the second that the sunrise hits the next morning, he runs out there to, to the lion pit, to the lion's den. He commands his guys, rip the stone away. And they ripped the stone away. Now, you got to be thinking, what is the king thinking? This, this king is anti-God. This king doesn't care about the one true God at all. But there's got to be still a little bit of hope within him that Daniel's God will have delivered him and done something here. And so they pull the stone away. The king looks in and says, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel cries out, I'm here. My God sent an angel to shut the mouths of these lions and I'm here safe and sound. They pulled Daniel out of the pit, and the king, knowing that all of his guys had, you know, schemed to, to throw Daniel in there, so he throws every single one of them in the lion's pit, into the lion's den. And the scripture says they were dead before they even hit the ground. The lions got them. And now listen to what the king did then. So the king, having seen Daniel rescued from the lion's dens, having seen God deliver Daniel, the king of this pagan nation, this king who doesn't care anything about God, never believed God even existed, and issues an order for his country. The king said, this is in Daniel chapter 6, verse 26, he says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is living. He is the living God, enduring and forever. So this anti-God king not only recognizes the power of God, recognizes the greatness of God, he uh, puts it on full display before his entire country. And so that, uh, that makes me think, okay, Daniel did this great thing. It's amazing. You know, Daniel in the lion's den. The lions didn't eat him. He's just there. He's curled up with the cats. They keep him warm all night. We don't know what happened. But what turned Daniel into someone 
that God would rescue from lions and lead an anti-God king to declare God's greatness before his entire nation. What would, what would bring Daniel to that point at 85 years old? Well, for that, we have to flash back to when Daniel was 18 years old. So he was 85 in Daniel chapter 6 in the lion's den. In Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. He's about 18. About, when he was 17, a year before, is when his nation was taken over by the enemies. When he was taken away from his home to this new country, he was 17. Well, now he's 18. One year later, he's 18 years old in Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to look at that. So Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I, ha I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So the king has a dream, and he's worried about this dream. Uh, he thinks the dream is communicating something, and ultimately it is. The dream uh, that he had told him you know, that his nation would be uh, how long, it, you know, it would last a while, and then another nation would come in and destroy it, and it told him what was going to happen in the future, and this really disturbed him. He didn't, at the time, understand what that meant, and so he calls in all of his sorcerers, all of his magic guys, and he says, okay, guys, use your magic to tell me what this dream means, because I'm worried about it, and, and uh, I want to know uh, what is, is coming uh, in the future, so tell me what it, this is, so he calls all these guys in, his, his wise men. Now, remember, uh, Daniel was taken and put in wise man school um, and he was going to become one of these guys. But as a part of the school that he's in being trained in this, they would consider him one of these guys. But Daniel's not in the room when this happens. So the, all these guys come in. King says to them, tell me what my dream is. I'm worried about my dream. Verse four, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. So they said, okay, king, we want to tell you what it means, but tell us what the dream is so we can interpret it for you. Tell us what it means. Verse 5. So the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So look at what the king is saying. He says, okay, guys, so that I know you're magic, guys, so that I know that what you're telling me is the truth, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have, you have to tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means. Now, this is impossible, right? I mean, this, this is a crazy request. And the guys he's talking to tell the king this. Verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So the king isn't going to have any of this mess. See, these guys, uh, apparently here, but also in uh, other history, we know uh, they would say things just to get out of the situation. They would say things to something the king wanted to hear, and the king knew this. He says, I don't want any of this mess. 
I don't want you speaking like you're speaking. I don't want you talking like you're talking. I don't, I don't want to hear just what you're telling me. I want the truth. And the only way I know you're going to tell me the truth is if you tell me the dream and its meaning. Well, these guys are freaking out now because there's no way they can know this. You know, they're panicking. He said they're going to be torn limb from limb and their houses are going to be laid in ruins. Somebody's not only going to execute them, but they're going to destroy their houses. And so these guys are, are in panic mode here. And so they respond to the king in panic and a little frustration, which is probably not what you want to do to a king like this who has absolute power. Verse 10, the, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now this is revealing, and let me tell you why. They tell the king, this is impossible, we can't do this. You're asking something, king, that cannot be done. Not only that, he says, they say, say to the king, only the gods know what you dreamed and what it means. And they're saying, we can't tell you that. Now, why this is important is these guys told the king that they received their power from these fake gods. That the fake gods would communicate to them and then they would communicate to the king. And so now what they're saying to the king here is the gods don't tell us anything. They're basically telling the king, we've made it all up in the past. And now you want to kill us because we can't do the thing you're asking us to do, this impossible task. And the king just loses his mind now because uh, he knows exactly what they're saying. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the king gets very angry, very, it says very furious, and he sends out the order, kill them all. Verse 13, so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So the hit squad's out there taking out these wise men and the captain of the guard who knew Daniel comes to Daniel and to kill him and his friends and Daniel says, what's the deal here? Why are you in my house with your sword out? Uh, what's going on? And the uh, captain of the guard uh, uh, tells him, verse 15, uh, or he tells him that they were there to kill all the wise men. And so Daniel replies, verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the, ca the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Verse 16, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel, a follower of the one true God, a believer in the one true God, Daniel who, who believes in the Messiah yet to come, the Son of God yet to come. Here's this word that the king's going to kill everybody in the group Daniel's associated with. And so Daniel makes a request. Now this already shows the uh, respect that Daniel had uh, they had for Daniel in the kingdom. He goes in as an 18-year-old, only having been a POW, a prisoner of war, for one year. He makes a request of the king. King, I will tell you the interpretation. When do you want it? When do you want it? Now, this also shows something interesting here, that God was at work in the heart of the king, that the king didn't demand right now. Tell me right now. They made a plan for the next day to have this meeting 
when Daniel's going to come in and give the interpretation. Daniel's full of faith. He doesn't know what the dream was yet. He doesn't know what the meaning of the dream is yet. All he knows is the man said this. He wants the meaning of his dream. Daniel knows that God has a plan for him that has not yet been fulfilled. And so God's going to get him out of this in some way. And so he makes the meeting for the king for the next morning. And look at what Daniel does next, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Now, these guys had different names, all right? They've got Hebrew names from the country they were from, and they've got Babylonian names, the country they're in now. We have their names here, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Well, their other names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in a fiery furnace. They get rescued from the fiery furnace. Well, they're the three best friends of Daniel. So Daniel gets word from the king. He goes to his friends, his three close friends, his three spiritual uh, 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 friends of great spiritual strength. He goes into them and tells them the situation. Now, we don't know Daniel's demeanor when he was communicating this with the guys, but the way this reads in these verses is not in a in a a sense of panic or uh, anxiety but in full faith that god was going to come through look at verse 18 and daniel told them to seek mercy from the god of heaven concerning this mystery so that daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of babylon so he goes in and he tells the guys, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for the mercy of God. So he gathers them around. They pray. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision in the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So God told him what the dream was. God told him what the meaning of the dream was about the king's future, about the conquering of his nation, about all this stuff that was coming. And uh, uh, Daniel is then even promoted there as an 18-year-old into a new position, a new position of great honor. So what turned Daniel into someone whom God would rescue from lions and then eventually lead an anti-God king to declare God's greatness before an entire nation? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer saved Daniel's life. Uh, uh, prayer changed the world. So how do we change the world? That's the title of this message, How to Change the World. How do we change the world? With prayer. Specifically, here in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel did three things that proved to be instinct for him and brought about divine intervention because of prayer. And so what are those three things he did? Let's look at them in verse 17. So Daniel, here's the impossible scenario, the impossible situation. In verse 17, Daniel went to his house made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Daniel shared the need with his friends, with his prayer partners. So the very first thing Daniel did in response to the impossible situation was form a group of spiritual fighters, was gather around his guys. He formed this group. His, his rider dies with the people who were with him to the end, come what may, the guys who he would go to. These aren't just some random fly-by-night people. These aren't just some people who happen to be in his life. These are spiritual giants, spiritual powerhouses that Daniel goes in there to and he gathers them around himself to, and, and tells them this prayer need, this impossible situation. 
And so what's the second? So the first thing he did, he formed a group of uh, a spiritual fighters. Well, the next thing he did, look at verse 18. He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the first thing he did is he formed a group. The next thing he did uh, was uh, to pray. He called his guys to pray together that God would have mercy and reveal this mystery. That word mystery literally means secret. That God would reveal this secret and, and overcome the impossible situation, the difficult scenario. He formed the group and then they prayed together. They prayed unified. Now, uh, they prayed towards the same end. But praying together does not necessarily mean that they were, had to be physically together. I mean, like right now, we're all physically separated, but we can still pray together. We can pray unified. We can pray towards the same end, the same purpose. If we do it that way, if we pray uh, uh, in pursuit of God's glory. Now, Praying in pursuit of God's glory, that's praying together in pursuit of God's mission, God's purpose, God's glory, not my interpretation of his glory, not my justification for his glory, but God's glory as he has planned. Now, a lot of times, now I do this, maybe you don't, maybe you're, you know, you're more spiritually mature than that, but sometimes when I pray, I'll pray for something specifically and it's incredibly selfish. And I'll try to justify my reasoning in praying for that thing and saying, well, God, it will bring about your glory if this falls into place and that falls into place and this happens. And it will bring about your glory then. But in truth, I'm not praying for God's will when I do that. I'm praying for mine. I'm praying for my will. Now, these guys prayed for something not knowing if this was God's will or not. I mean, they prayed that God would reveal this secret to them because if God did not reveal this secret to them, then they would be killed along with everybody else. But they still prayed that God would do it knowing and having full faith that they would trust God no matter what happened. So they were praying for God's glory. They were praying together for God's uh, mission that he had called them there to do. So what did Daniel do? He formed his group of spiritual fighters. They prayed together, unified for a specific purpose in great humility, not with divergent motivations, but with a singular motivation, God's glory in humility. And what's the last thing he did? The third thing. Look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. In a vision of the night. You know what that implies? That Daniel and his friends prayed throughout the night. They prayed until God gave them an answer. They prayed until an answer came. They did not stop. They did not say one quick sentence and move on. They continued to pray and work through that prayer until an answer came. And so that's the third thing he did. So he formed a group uh, he, he, of spiritual fighters. They prayed together and they prayed through the night. No matter how dark the night got, no matter how long the night lasted, they prayed through the night. That's a great principle for us that we should continue to pray no matter how dark the situation becomes, no matter how bleak the outlook is, no matter how long it lasts and we don't know when the end is going to come. We pray until God moves or God moves me. We pray until God acts or God changes my perspective. We continue to pray. We just continue to pray. And what is prayer? We, we saw some of it uh, last week. Uh, prayer is listening. For God's voice, prayer is reading 
God's word, and then prayer is interceding, offering up our prayer needs. So listen, read, and intercede. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. It is a part of that. We listen, we read, we intercede, we continue to pray. And so Daniel did those three things, and that became a habit throughout his life so that not only God was using him at 18, God used him at 85, and he survived with the lions because he had already been praying since he was 18. And then when he was 85, but in front of the window, praying for God's deliverance, God's salvation, God's glory, God's honor, and God brought about a rescue in God's timing, in the way God saw it going down. Daniel had no idea what was going to happen or how it was going to look. He was praying for God's glory. And so in those three things, gathering a group of spiritual fighters, praying together, praying through the night, we're going to do this now specifically as God's church. God's church, not only here in Dequeen, but wherever you happen to be watching from. Here's the challenge. We're going to pray in two ways over the next, uh, not just for the next seven days, until we meet together again. We're going to pray this way until all of this quarantine stuff passes. All right? Here's the two things we're going to do. Here's the prayer challenge. We're going to pray every day at 2.19 p.m. That's the verse of answer prayer. Chapter 2, verse 19. 2.19. God answered the prayer in chapter 2, verse 19. We're going to pray together every day. Every day at 2.19. Set an alarm. Set an alarm right now on your phone. Pull out your phone, set an alarm, 219, recurring, every day we're going to pray. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you what we're going to pray for in just a second. We're going to pray every day at 219. But we're also, as a body of God's believers, God's church doesn't just have to be First Baptist to Queen. Wherever you have to be watching from, if you're a believer of Jesus, you are God's church. We are going to pray through the night. Every Saturday night into Sunday morning, we're going to pray through the night. On our website right now, as I'm saying these words, Sunday morning, as I'm saying these words, uh, a, a new page is going up on our website. It says uh, uh, prayer time. And you can go there and you can sign up for a slot to pray through the night from s Saturday night, 7 p.m. to Sunday morning, 7 a.m., 12 hours. There's 12 slots. And you can pray uh, multiple times. You, what, what you can do is you go in there, you put your name in, and you click on one of those time slots. And then after you click on it, it'll give you an option to either go back and change your slot, but you can also go and see all the slots then that have been filled. And so if you want to look at the slots that have been filled, you can go and you can, you know, change your time if you would so desire. Uh, but what we're going to do is throughout the rest of this time, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray every day at 219, and we're going to pray through the night, Saturday to Sunday. And we're going to pray for three things. You ready for it? Three things. We're going to pray for three things at those times. You can pray for other things too, but we're all going to pray together as spiritual fighters through the night for these three things. We're going to pray first for the virus to stop, to go away. That's number one. Number two, we're going to pray for salvations. We're going to pray for people to get saved. So we'll pray for the virus, pray for salvations, and then we're going to pray for boldness of God's believers, God's followers, Jesus' followers, that we would tell people about Jesus. We're going to pray for those three things. The virus to stop, for salvations to come, and for God's people to be bold in declaring His gospel and His hope and His peace and His joy. So that's what we're going to pray for. Every day at 219, through the night, Saturday to Sunday. And you're going to go and you're going to sign up for those slots. I've already signed up for a slot. 
because I knew this was coming, and so I got in first. So, uh, uh, you want some? You create your own website. You can do it too. But we're going to pray throughout the night. We're going to pray every day for the virus to stop, salvations to come, and the boldness of God's people. Maybe right now what you need to do first is you need to pray for yourself. You need to pray for yourself that you would believe in Jesus, that Jesus would save you right now. And it doesn't take magic words. It doesn't take a cover charge. It doesn't take a whole bunch of special things. All it takes is for you to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And if you want to believe that, if you want to believe in Jesus today, all you have to do is believe. Believe in that very thing. Jesus, God's son, died for your sins to be forgiven, rose from the dead so you can live after you die, and salvation is yours. Hope is yours. Peace is yours. Joy is yours to access in full if you want it. If you want it, all you have to do is believe, and you get eternal life with God in heaven. Eternal life. Do you want it today? If you want it, comment. I want it. I want that salvation. Comment that. Click on that link below me, that button below me that says, I have a decision. Maybe you have another decision you want to make. Maybe you have a specific prayer need. Click on that button. I have a decision. I have a prayer need. And we'll pray for you. We will pray with you. Your name specifically will go on my personal prayer list in my prayer journal. I will write it down. And continue to pray for it until God delivers you. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to pray for those three things. We're also going to pray for our journey through this, that we would continue to, to follow the path that Jesus has set us on. And then we would experience moments like what Daniel did in Daniel 6. Highlight moments. Lion's den deliverance moments. But before we get there, we've got to have a Daniel 2 moment. A prayer moment, a moment that sets the tone for the rest of our lives. And so that's my hope for you right now is that this is your line in the sand moment. This is your turning point moment that you take it on and everything changes from here on out.